Yes, see you at the finish line. Are you ready for the end of the world? No. Not yet. <laughs> okay, one second. Let me get ready. Let's get ready. It'll take about Are two you minutes. ready, ready, ready? <laughs> yes. This is your community spirit. Show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. Let's bring back the circle again. The circle of family, circle of friends, the circle of being. Wake up! And be healthy and therefore wealthy to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. This is Orda Energy Mon. And this is Tree Song. And we are live and local. <laughs> live, local, maybe locale, depending on what we ate today. <laughs> and um, we're here to talk about things that happen in the world pertaining specifically straight to us. Yes. That's everything. So we've narrowed connected. it down to one topic, hmm. everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very narrow focus for our show. Exxon's own research confirmed fossil fuels' role in global warming decades ago. What? Well, of course. <laughs> They're the ones who caused the problem. They knew about it. They're like, and not only, I mean, I don't even think I need to read this article. It's just like, pe people knew about it. And if your business model is polluting, yeah. then you would actively promote that it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, the the thing that I've seen in the news and heard in the news is they said, well, we've been actively researching is climate change caused by humans. Okay, so you've got two people on the payroll that do that hmm. and 100 people do the other thing. Yeah. <laughs> where you actively say it's not caused. Yeah. They're not on the payroll. You give the money to someone else who gives it to someone else because, you know, if you're ever caught. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's kind of like with politicians who say we were for it before we were against it or that sort of thing. It's like, yeah, it seems like they did for like a couple of years do some like sincere research into the issue. But then once they realized that it was going to shut down their profit model, they started funding the other side. At a meeting at Exxon Corporation's headquarters, a senior company scientist named James F. Black addressed the audience of powerful oil men. Speaking without text, as he flipped through detailed slides, Black delivered a sobering message. Carbon dioxide from the world's use of fossil fuels would warm the planet and would eventually endanger humanity. Quote, in the first place, there is a general scientific agreement that the most likely manner in which mankind is influencing the global climate is through carbon dioxide released from the burning of fossil fuels, end quote. Black told Exxon's management committee, according to a written version he recorded later. Now, this sounds like something that just would have happened, right? Yeah, that sounds like, you know, the past few weeks, maybe. <laughs> it was in July 1977 when Exxon leaders received this blunt assessment, well before most of the world had actually heard of the looming climate crisis. Yeah, before some of us were even born. <laughs> a year later, Black, a top technical expert in Exxon's research and engineering division took an updated version of his presentation to a broader audience. He warned Exxon scientists and managers that the independent researchers estimated a doubling of carbon dioxide concentration in the atmosphere would increase average global temperatures by 2 to 3 degrees Celsius or 4 to 5 degrees Fahrenheit and as much as 10 degrees Celsius, 18 degrees Fahrenheit at the poles. Yeah. 
This is in 1978 he yeah, did this. Yeah, this is 1978. I mean, it sounds kind of similar to some of the predictions of today. I mean, they're getting a little worse as we understand the situation more. Right. But, yeah. Here's another good quote. that uh, Present thinking, he wrote in the summary, holds that man has a time window of five to ten years before the need for hard decisions regarding changes in energy strategies might become critical. So that's in 1978 he's saying this. So we've got to decide by the mid-'80s, and we didn't. <laughs> well, Exxon responded swiftly. Within months, the company launched its own extraordinary research into carbon dioxide from fossil fuels and its impact on the Earth. Exxon's ambitious program included both empirical CO2 sampling and rigorous climate modeling. It assembled a brain trust that would spend more than a decade deepening the company's understanding of an environmental problem that posted an existential threat to the oil business. <laughs> Just like, yeah, and life as we know it, but, right, you know, but the oil yeah, business. <laughs> I mean, then, toward the end of the 1980s, let me editorialize. Basically, when nobody else caught on. Yeah. Like, <laughs> They're like, wait, are we the only ones researching this? <laughs> Exxon curtailed its carbon dioxide research in the decades that follow. Exxon instead worked in the forefront of climate denial. It put its muscle behind efforts to manufacture doubt about the reality of global warming its own scientists had once confirmed. It lobbied to block federal and international action to control greenhouse gas emissions, it helped to erect a vast edifice of misinformation that stands to this day. This untold chapter in Exxon's history, when one of the world's largest energy companies worked to understand the damage caused by fossil fuels, stemmed from an eight-month-long investigation by Inside Climate News. Yeah, so there are still actually investigative journalists out there doing research. It's refreshing to hear. But, I mean, this, it sounds like they came to a fork in the road where they realized, okay, global warming is happening. It threatens our business model. We can either change our business model or change public policy to not respond to global warming. Right. So they went the second route, and rather than change their business model and, you know, switch to a renewable business model or, you know, sell just about anything else, they decided— They were like, this threatens our business model, not this threatens humanity. Yeah, if and they had seen it as human beings and said this sends humanity, they might have said, well... I feel so good about never buying from Exxon. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I haven't bought from Exxon. Like, I ran out of gas once, and I had to call, like, the tow company to come get me. Yeah. Because I didn't buy from Exxon. <laughs> and the reason I haven't bought from them is they still haven't paid for the Exxon Valdez oil spill in 1989. They've yeah. been delaying and holding it back, even... And, you know, they bankrupt the whole Native American tribe and a whole industry of fisher people. Yeah. And just anyway. Yeah. And they've been, I mean, it's literally they're they went through the whole court system just like BP did. Yeah. And they were told, here's how much you have to pay and here's who you have to pay it to. And they're just like, whatever. They just keep delaying it and delaying it. Yeah. And they're probably going to delay it, too, for responsibility of this. Because, I mean, when the, the – I like making the analogy to the tobacco companies because some of the same scientists and PR firms were involved in, in confusing people about the link between cancer and smoking. So for tobacco and for cigarettes, they went through a process where they identified all of the lies the companies had told. They made them change their business model. They made them pay some reparations. They didn't put them out of business. They didn't put them out of business entirely, but they at least – 
soothe, <laughs> soothe the hell out of them. <laughs> and so I feel like that process is coming up really quick for Exxon, but it may take another year or two. Uh, but then once they're sued, they'll just delay it again, like they've done with the oil spill. They still should have paid that oil sp- spill like decades ago, but they haven't. They're going to keep hedge- hemming and hawing about paying off for this responsibility too. But that's what corporations do. Yeah, currently. <laughs> corporations are people, what are they called? Psychopaths. Right? Yeah. Corporations have the same um, rights as a person, but then they're not taken to prison. Yeah. <laughs> they roam free. I mean, literally, the they're, they're not. I yeah. mean, uh, if, a person, if a person did this, they'd be in prison. Yeah. Oh, they'd be in all sorts of prison. Right. But a company, <laughs> oh, they just get... They just have to pay some money? Yeah, they might get a fine. Well, and one of the things people often forget is, you know, corporations do get charters issued to them by uh, the government. So we, the people, have to sign off on corporations existing. So if we decided to, we could take away Exxon's corporate charter for something like this. <laughs> but that's big talk. That's, you know. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure that um, they're no longer chartered in the United States because then they'd have to pay taxes here. So, yeah, you know, that's like kind of the trend now. I mean, the biggest one of that is Apple. Apple doesn't pay any taxes at all because their parent company is based in Ireland. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever read that? <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, so. Tax shelters. And, and they, the company here owes all the money to the company in Ireland because yeah. they have. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's funny because on the books, Apple looks like this company that's losing all sorts of money because they owe the money to the, the parent company. <laughs> yeah, so and the parent company in Ireland just has all the cash, you know. So. Yeah. <laughs> So what other news do we have coming up? Can game theory predict, well, anything, but can it predict what will happen at the U.N. climate negotiations? No, I'm, I'm going to say no because, <laughs> you know, I mean, isn't game theory, like, logical? Yeah, it's logical. <laughs> just like, just like, and and um, people are involved with this. And people are a little crazy sometimes. Over the past few months... Upwards of 50 countries have made their views on fighting climate change exceedingly clear. In submitting pledges to the United Nations in the run-up to the Paris negotiations, cabinets and diplomats the world over have spilled out exactly what... Really? I didn't know this. (laughs) Exactly what their governments are prepared to commit to the global climate dilemma. Now a team of economics economists from Norway, the Netherlands, Germany, and Scotland thinks it can leverage those positions to predict the outcome of the Paris talks in the same way football analysis might use the player's stats to predict the winner of the Super Bowl. <laughs> After all, COP21 is basically just, you know, C-SPAN Super Bowl. I mean, come <laughs> yeah. on. I wonder if they get more people involved in climate change issues. If they covered it like football, they're like, oh, and we've got this player here who's got these stats, and, you know. They should. I mean, like, I mean, think about it. It's serious business. Yeah. And they should talk. They should, like, sensationalize the fact that countries are holding each other hostage over little things. It's yeah. Like, and now the prime minister of this country has said, through a proxy, that they're not going to do a squat. <laughs> yeah. just like... I'm probably showing my age. I'm picturing John Madden like drawing little X's and O's on the, on the globe and saying, and so Germany is going in this direction with their policy, and <laughs> the U.S. is going that way. <laughs> I think you might actually get more people paying attention if you did that. I think, I mean, CNN seems to be going that direction. Yeah. You know, more, 
24. Sensationalize. I mean, yeah, sensationalize it, you know, just like basically people, talking heads just commenting on things, you know. I mean, they do have to talk for 24 hours a day about, you know, something. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So, viewing most national interests as frighteningly cemented, these self-dubbed predictioners, I don't know if that's it. <laughs> Predictioners, yeah, I don't know if I buy that. <laughs> are employing a bunch of economics called game theory to call the outcomes. Game theory is the math behind rational. See, there's still like <laughs> rational decision making. Yeah. So they're giving a lot of credit to these delegates. <laughs> in practice, what the economist work takes it's figuring out how to convert negotiating blocks positions into stream of usable numbers. So I don't know. Yeah. I'm just like. To well, I think their math includes some irrational behavior as part of the math. You know? <laughs> it's like, yeah. Irrational math. It's like, um, I mean, researchers actually have predicted UN climate talks before. Yeah. I mean, just it's pretty easy. They don't do anything. Just <laughs> yeah. like, they they predict. Just kidding. They did a bunch of math, and the <laughs> equation said they're not going to do much, and then they didn't do much. <laughs> I could have told you that with a lot less calculus. <laughs> But yeah, they, the economists are expected to reveal their full predictions shortly before the negotiations begin in late November. So we'll, if, I, if I see that, we'll stay tuned and say what they predict. They'll probably predict the same as last time, like not much action and then not much action happens. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of math, though. So, so here's, here's another one. There have been a lot of stories about this lately. If you haven't heard, Volkswagen emissions cheating caused an appalling amount of extra pollution. So just, just to remind you, Volkswagen means people's car, right? Yeah. So, so the, the, the people's car <laughs> was cheating. <laughs> was cheating and caused an extraordinary amount of pollution. Yeah. Just to clarify. <laughs> Volkswagen's rigging of emissions tests for 11 million cars means that they may be responsible for nearly 1 million tons of air pollution every year. Now, that's roughly the same as the UK's combined emissions for all power stations, vehicles, Industry and agriculture, a Guardian analysis suggests. So, wow, that's the, the UK's combined emissions for, I mean, just with one little lie they told, it's apparently not a very little lie. And the, the best thing is it was literally like a couple guys got a grant to just, you know, just study. They were just like, hey, let's just, you know, check and see. And, I mean, it was like, they blew it apart. They blew I mean, it apart, yeah. Like they found out. <laughs> yeah. They caught him red-handed. And well, well, black-handed. Yeah. All black-handed. <laughs> so, uh, Black-lunged. Yeah. They, they were, so they were calling vehicles over it. Uh, 482,000 VW and Audi brand cars after the EPA found models with type EA189 engines had been fitted with a device designed to reduce emissions of nitrogen oxides under testing conditions. Only testing conditions. Only testing conditions. So when the test was running, it seemed like a really clean car. And then when the test stopped, it's like, okay, pollute, la, la, la. <laughs> so basically just when it was like idling. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's how they test them. Yeah. I mean, they don't test them as they're driving down the road. That'd be kind of a hard test, huh? <laughs> yeah. They have a little machine hooked to your tailpipe as you drive. 
The company admitted the device may have been fitted to 11 million of its vehicles. So they're still using like sort of legalistic language. We may have put this on 11 million of our vehicles. We, well, I mean, they can't say <laughs> we did because yeah. then they're just like, then they're getting yeah, then they're just going to be instantly convicted. <laughs> so if this figure proves correct, the defective vehicles could be responsible for between 237,000 and 948,000 tons of NOx emissions each year. That's just, I mean, that's just 10 to 40 times the allowable pollution in the U.S., yeah. which is probably the country that has the lowest pollution standards, but I'm just making that up. But Yeah, and nitrogen oxides don't get talked about as much as CO2, but they are pretty serious. That's why they try to limit them. Now, I wonder if these were all the diesel ones, because I always wondered, how could the diesel car pass emissions? Yeah, standards? I believe they are all the diesels. It doesn't say in this article, but I think that was part of the issue was... They impressed people initially because they said, oh, you've got all these diesel cars to pass this with flying colors. That's amazing. Well, <laughs> they I mean, cheated. Well, the thing is, is here in the U.S., we don't have high-quality diesel. Mm. In Europe, they have number one. We use number two diesel here. Yeah. So it's a lot easier to run a diesel car in Europe. And the reason is is because they use number one because they have colder temperatures. Yeah. And so it congeals easier. So they use a higher-quality diesel that congeals, you know, has a harder time. I was going to say congeals harder, but that didn't work. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> I edited uh, myself. So, so um, this, yeah, this next one sounds like a like a joke, like the American president, the Chinese president, and the Pope walk into a bar. <laughs> they walked into a climate message. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Obama, the Chinese president, and the Pope are all pushing climate messages in the U.S. this week. I think the most interesting thing I saw recently was there's something wrong with the world when atheists agree with the Pope more than conservatives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just like, something big and strange is happening in the United States this week. We have to try that again. Something big and strange is happening in the United States this week. There's something happening here. <laughs> Just like three widely different world leaders from divergent personalities, agendas, and backgrounds will be in the same country at the same time fighting for the same thing solutions for climate change ahead of the UN General Assembly meeting in New York City an unprecedented I don't know how to say that tri triumvirate oh yeah triumvirate <laughs> it's like three yeah <laughs> will be on US soil let me screw this up. President Jing Jinping, the communist leader of China's 1.3 billion people and the world's biggest carbon polluter. Hmm. I actually have a friend who's visiting his daughter in China right now. Yeah. And he was talking about how non-polluted it was the first day. And then the second day, it was like, oops, I was wrong. <laughs> now I have like a sore throat and yeah. like, um, then the wind eyes, changed. Are, eyes are watering. And, yeah, the wind changes and you get the factory smoke. Yeah, so... That was in Beijing, so... Right. Yeah. Um, also, Pope Francis, the leader of the world's 1.2 billion Catholics, and a self-modeled reformer and scientist. Yeah. I like that, you know. And scientist. You leave the climate science to the scientist. <laughs> oh, wait a second. You are a scientist. <laughs> and the U.S. President Barack Obama... It doesn't say how many people he leads. Yeah. <laughs> or how many people admit it. Depends on the opinion polls. <laughs> But the leader of the world's largest economy and a man who doesn't need 
to be reelected. <laughs> yeah. That's a big deal. In one way or another, they each have made fighting global warming a core part of their leadership at home and abroad. Or at least their rhetoric. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> now, they're not actually publicly scheduled to meet each other in America this week. Though they will probably, you know, bump into each other. Mm, just yeah. Like, <laughs> that means they're scheduled. There's no yeah. way they could. It's, like, it's kind of like the one degree of separation. Like, <laughs> president will meet with the pope. President will meet with the Chinese president. <laughs> but I don't know if the pope and the Chinese president are meeting. <laughs> right. But basically, they're all running the same uh, circuit. Yep. And it's, it's bringing a lot of hope that there's going to be uh, action on climate change. I'm still waiting and seeing. <laughs> I haven't crunched the math like those economists, but there's at least a lot of rhetoric about climate change. We'll see if rhetoric actually translates into action. Right, but I mean, that's way more than there ever has been. Yeah, yeah, it's never before been all of these powerful world leaders in one country seeing how important it is to take action. Or even in their own countries. Yeah, even if they don't do it themselves, it might rile up their, their people in their countries enough to take action. That's called being a leader. Yeah. It's just like, it's like, all right, you guys, go ahead. I'll wait back here. You guys do the revolution. All right, so we'll do this one quick, but then we've got to get into the happenings. A Dutch tower is sucking the smog out of the air. Until we collectively decide to give up fossil fuels and power the world with giant hamster wheels, <laughs> or, you know, solar and wind, this planet has a bit of an air pollution problem. So a team in Netherlands wants to help. The smog-free tower is a 23-foot-tall metal tower stationed in a park in Rotterdam that sucks pollution out of the air. It ionizes the airborne smog particles, then sucks them out. So it's pretty exciting. And uh, it... The pollutions extracted from the air are, are turned into rings, you know, like a ring that you wear. So they take the carbon that they take out of the air, and they turn it into a ring. It's just like, you know, iron shavings are attracted toward a magnet, so it's the same idea. Yeah. You know, they attract the carbon particles, and then once they've got them, they're like, you're mine, and they, you know, yeah. make things out of them. So it's a useful device, but even the designers say that it's a Band-Aid. Here's a quote. How can we create a city where in 10 years these towers aren't necessary anymore? This is the bridge towards a solution. But, I mean, they, they also say it's very efficient. The smog-free tower can purify up to a million cubic feet of air per hour. Yeah, and so. it, it doesn't produce ozone like some other ionizing things do. So, you know, clean up a small neighborhood. Yeah. So it's like... I'm rich enough to have my own pollution tower in my neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like pollution tower and um, NSA spying machine. Yeah. You know, just basically just put, bundle them together. You know, them, put, you get a discount. Get them in every neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. I bet you get a discount for bundling them. <laughs> just, uh... All right. So today is Native American Day. Uh, I mean, we're, we're living on Native American soil, so every day should be Native American Day. Uh, National Comic Book Day is also today. And let's see. Johnny Appleseed Day and International Rabbit Day. I, I recently saw a picture of a rabbit with someone putting the rabbit ears above it, and the caption says, he's holding those things up again, right? <laughs> just Yeah. M Monday is National Good Neighbor Day. so if you're But not... it's also Ask a Stupid Question Day. So <laughs> just... Yeah. And World Vegetarian Day on Thursday. Campaign 9 violence is actually going on right now. The Peace Coalition of Southern Illinois Fellowship of Reconciliation is joining 
Pase and Bene's National Campaign Nonviolence Initiative with a series of events scheduled in Carbondale to voice the call to, quote, create a culture of peace, free from war, poverty, the climate crazy crisis, I almost said the climate crazy, <laughs> the climate crisis, and the epidemic of violence, end quote. While this sounds like a momental, monumental undertaking, there are diverse groups working in our communities to meet this challenge. Now, campaign nonviolence actually just seeks to connect the dots that show the violent impacts our status quo has on ourselves, others, particularly those well off, and the whole natural world. So this is part of, you know, national events, but... The whole week of event is September 20th through the 28th, and go online to sipeace.org, and it has a schedule of lots of events, and um, hopefully you can make it to some of them. Yeah. It's a good deal. That's why we've been feeling more peaceful. Campaign nonviolence is going on. Also coming up tonight, the 5th Annual For Kids Sake 5K Run Walkathon. It's coming up tonight at 6 p.m. at Turley Park. Now, I actually, I feel a little weird today because I didn't do my morning jogging because I'm going to be doing a 5K this afternoon. <laughs> so it's coming up at 6 p.m. at Turley Park. Uh, there will be awards, prizes, and music, and great food. Uh, you can go to forkidssake.net for the full registration. Uh, now, they don't have pre-registration anymore because it's happening today, <laughs> but you can register It's on a, It's actually better come today because it, what do you call it, more money goes to the orphans. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So if you want to help out the orphans, this is your opportunity. You can, And I've had some people say to me, like, oh, I don't know if I can do a 5K. Well, you can also support it by donating to, pledging to one of the people who is doing a 5K. Like, I've got one, and a lot of people who are running in it, you can go on the website and support it. You can go to uh, razoo.com, R-A-Z-O-O.com, and uh, it's on my Facebook, too. So you can do support it by walking or running or pledging. Either way, it all helps out the orphans. For more information about their program, go to forkidssake.net. Yeah. Also coming up this weekend, Touch of Nature, Clean Up and Hike. It's happening on Saturday at 8 a.m. at Garden of the Gods. Well, they're meeting at the Student Center and then meeting there at 8 a.m. to go to Garden of the Gods. Yeah, they've got a whole bus, so catch a ride, go out there, clean up. Yeah, so... Clean up so you can enjoy the nature properly, and then catch a ride back on the bus. Yeah, that's the way to do it. You know, they do a cleanup, and then they enjoy the beautiful landscape that they've just cleaned. Uh, bring a water bottle and, you know, a small snack and, of course, appropriate clothes for being in nature. Yeah, so they're meeting up 8 a.m. tomorrow at the SIU Student Center. Also Saturdays, Carbondale Community Farmers Markets, 8 until noon at the Carbondale Community High School. Um, they accept. Uh, link and they've got the machine there and they've also got the double up food bucks if you do um, have you know any of those nutritional programs like link or snap or food stamps they have a double up food program so you give them a dollar with that program they'll give you two dollars to spend at the market yeah that's saturday's eight till noon and at the community high school and wednesday's four to seven p.m washington avenue between maine and walnut also coming up on Sunday, we have Violence, Nonviolence, and the Climate Crisis. This is coming up on Sunday from 2 p.m. to 3.30 p.m. at Guy House Interfaith Center. Uh, it's, we've been hearing a lot in recent months and on this show about all the people talking about global warming. 
Pope Francis. There's been uh, there's recently a Muslim gathering. Also, lots of secular leaders like the two presidents we talked about. Lots of people are realizing that global warming is a moral and ethical crisis in need of our immediate attention and response. So I'm going to be doing a talk there. That's uh, going to be Sunday at 2 p.m. at Guy House. Uh, I'll be talking about how global warming is a form of violence. Because people often think of it as this economic issue, like what sort of energy should we use? Let's make an economic decision here. But it's also an ethical decision, like is this fuel that I'm using going to cause people harm? Is it going to take lives from other people because of what I put in my gas tank? Also on Sunday, rally for campaign nonviolence. Sunday at 4 p.m. at the Labyrinth Peace Garden at 913 South Illinois. The event is under the Labyrinth Peace Park's geodesic dome structure, along with music, a bunch of speakers, uh, supporters of the Community Bill of Rights, and a plan for a new community peace mural. So again, that's Sunday, 4 o'clock at the Labyrinth Peace Park. Yeah, that's a really exciting set of speakers and music there. So coming up on Wednesday, The Promise of Anarchism, an international discussion. It's on Wednesday at 7 p.m. at Guyon Auditorium in the Morris Library at SIU. It's a discussion of the relevance of anarchism for 21st century struggles. This panel brings together organizers from Latin America, Eastern Europe, the Balkans, and North America to discuss the significance of anarchist ideas and tactics in the 21st century. So, wow, it's got these people from around different parts of the world talking about protests and uh, the role of demanding, you know, democratic involvement in society. If so, you want to hear read more about it, it's actually in 20 languages on the website to changeeverything.com. Yeah. So, um... This is not this Saturday, but it's Saturday, October 3rd. Mark your calendar for the one-day sale of native trees and other perennials in the Murdell Shopping Center. So we'll see if we can have that people on to talk about that. Huh? Yeah, trees are good. Trees are very important to life. <laughs> well, I think this has been I'm winding down. Another half hour exciting your community spirit. Stay tuned for the extended version. Yes, <laughs> part two, the, the at-length part where you get to talk about more ideas. All right, so it's been fun, exciting, and informative. We will see you here next week on the radio.